Coming up, why most people are tired at work. And we're going to break down this epidemic of exhaustion in America because it's affecting our professional opportunities and even our health. Let's go. Helping you win at work so that you can win at life. If you're not winning at work, I got news for you. You're not winning in life. You may have some wins in a certain area of your life, but it it affects everything. And uh, so, you know, one of the things that really is uh, kind of mandatory is that you have enough natural energy going on. And we're not talking about overloading on coffee or drinking these uh, horrible, sugary heart attacks in a can. Uh, these energy drinks. And I know, you know, they've gotten healthier and healthier, but, you know, if you're relying on an energy drink during the day, something needs to change. Because the simple fact is, if you get enough sleep and you are healthy in a sense that you're not walking around with a cold or some type of sickness and you enjoy what you do, you've got the juice, as I like to say. Because there's no physical impairment as relates to lack of sleep or some type of sickness and the symptoms that are draining you. And so if you've got that, plus you love your work, I got news for you. You don't need any caffeine. You just won't. Uh, but but let's break this down because I, I think this has such a profound effect on our opportunities to climb the ladder. And you're watching this show because you either don't know what ladder you want to be on or you want to climb the ladder you're on. It's that simple. That's why you're watching this show. So we need to address this. According to a recent survey, 76% of workers report being frequently tired at work. So why is this? Well, I think if we simplify this, it comes down to two types of exhaustion. One, physical exhaustion, and two, the mental or emotional exhaustion. So that's what's going on. You have 76% of workers saying they feel be they feel like they're tired. Again, you can get a good night's sleep, but also be in a very rough, intense environment and be really, really tired. Isn't that true? In fact, so people say to me all the time, you know, Ken, what does it feel like at the end of your day, even talking all day, doing a show? And most days, I just feel mentally tired, mentally because I have expended a lot of energy. I prepare for about 30 to 60 minutes before the show. I come on here. We're doing a close to an hour show. Some days, I'll go right over and co-host the Ramsey show, and I'm engaged for three more hours. And so just like anybody whose mind is thoroughly engaged, there's a high level of, uh, and again, I'm not saying this is a negative way, but pressure, otherwise known as stress, that I've got to be focused and locked in, well, then obviously when you get done, there's a little bit of a kind of thing. And I can feel it mentally and I can feel it physically. Okay, So we've got mental or emotional exhaustion and then we've got the physical. And it's a lot easier to deal with the mental and emotional tiredness when we have the physical tiredness under wraps. We, we, we are getting good sleep. We're getting uh, effective sleep. And we're getting enough of it. Okay. So there's all kinds of studies. I mean, I found scads and scads of, of numbers out there. 
some three, four-year-old study, some a year-old study, but we're talking about billions of dollars they estimate in lost productivity every year because of workers who are tired. Okay. So if we get, and I've seen some really fun stuff, if you get like five or six hours of sleep at night, it begins to have the effect on you that alcohol does. Okay. And, and so understand that when I don't get a good night's sleep or I don't get enough of good sleep, your cognitive abilities during the day are severely hampered. Getting just six hours of sleep at night brings people to a much higher risk of depression and distraction, and you're not operating with your full capacity. This is pretty scary stuff. We took a call last week on this show from an emergency room doctor, and she said, Ken, I I need to know, should I take a pay cut to leave this role? And as we began to unpack why she was calling me and asking for my take on this, she was physically exhausted, working crazy hours and being so stressed out and so under pressure that she wasn't able to sleep well. Now, could you imagine your doctor, whether they're having surgery on you or not, but my goodness, an exhausted doctor opening my body up with little sharp instruments? No, thank you, but it happens all the time. And so as we walked through this with her, she was worried about malpractice issues based on physical and mental exhaustion. And so again, there's more and more studies that we see every day where you can see the impact of mental and emotional exhaustion to then bring you to a place of physical exhaustion, even if you've had a decent night's sleep. So on top of that, so this is starting the day off with a sleep deficit is very damaging. So then I learned this. Our bodies naturally start to wind down in the afternoon. It's a natural rhythm of our bodies. That in the afternoon, we begin to lower our energy. Our body just does it by default. And uh, you've got high levels of cortisol in the morning. And the cortisol is kind of the wonder drug. gives you that that energy to attack the day. But your cortisol levels naturally decrease throughout the day, and our blood pressure typically drops in the afternoon and evening as well. And this makes our body temp lower, and as a result, makes us more tired. So some of you, if you're just kind of had this gut feeling that, man, my energy drops late in the afternoon, this is not a gut feeling. This is a real feeling, and your energy is dropping. So let's just, for example, purposes here for a moment, let's just choose 3 o'clock p.m. as an arbitrary number. So so around 3 o'clock, your energy is going to begin to drop just by the nature of your body. So this is, again, even if you are getting good sleep and you're eating right, your body, so a very healthy person, your body is naturally downshifting in the afternoon, just the way it's wired. So... What do you do about that? And it's all about sleep. It's all sleep related. So what do you do? Do you go get your energy drink and juice up? Get that late afternoon coffee? Go eat a bunch of junk food, sugary foods? What do we do? That's what we tend to do by default. So we're already going, okay, my energy's dropping. I got to do something about it. 
But it turns out that the science behind this and a lot of very effective people have figured out that the best thing to do for this natural afternoon energy slump when your body's going, I need to chill. I need to re-energize. One of the best things you can do is a short nap. A short nap. So what's the right amount of time? Ken, uh, this is great. There's no way my company's going to let me take a nap. All right, we're going to unpack those things. What is the right amount of time for a nap that really does reset you? And then how can you take a nap on your time and not get fired for it? We'll unpack both of those things next. Everybody is so tired, and it's having a tremendous impact on our productivity. Incidentally, I don't think it's a ironic coincidence of data. I've seen this in the news recently, everywhere, that the American workforce has seen productivity declines five straight quarters. Five straight quarters in a row, we've seen the American worker productivity decline. Economists that measure this stuff, they've been reporting this. You combine that with the fact that we've got a historically low rate of productivity in the workforce. And now we're five quarters in a row. You you can't just overlook that and just think, well, people don't want to work for a leader. No, let me tell you something. The fact that the data is saying that we're sleeping less and getting worse sleep than ever, combining with American worker productivity, Folks, that's a legitimate connection. So how do we take this little novel idea here of going an afternoon nap is no longer just for kindergartners. I don't even know if they allow that anymore. By the way, back in the day, okay, and I know I'm older than a lot of you youngsters that listen and watch this show, and that's fine. I I have to deal with this. I have to come to grips with the fact that I'm middle-aged. Well, back in my day, Let's go about 1979, 1980 for you historians out there. When I went to kindergarten, we didn't go a half day. We went a full-length day. Can you imagine? But we took naps in kindergarten. They turned the lights off in the room, and the, the teacher sat there and watched his kids, and you had to be quiet. You got in trouble for talking. And you lay down on a little mat. It was probably about two inches thick. Took a nap. Well, you couldn't do that in today's world, but that's what we did. It was like a bunch of like it was like fifteen or twenty kindergartners laying on the floor sleeping. Fantastic idea. All right. So before we get to the nap and the power of the nap and how to do the nap, let's also just remind you that the nap is not going to be as effective as it could be if you're not getting the proper sleep, eight to nine hours a night. All right, so let's assume right now for this discussion that you're getting eight to nine hours of quality sleep, not in the bed eight to nine hours, okay, for an hour and a half watching Netflix. No, you're sleeping for eight to nine hours. Your rhythm is good. You've got all the symptoms. You see it. So let's assume we've got a good night's sleep, and now our body's natural rhythm is downshifting in the afternoon, 
And so we just need to know, nothing wrong with us. This is our natural rhythm. So what do we do? Okay, a nap is really, really effective way to do this. Here's what you shouldn't do, though. Just call this out and we'll move on. Sugar and carbs, like loading up on sugar and carbs at lunch, is going to actually increase the rate at which you crash. Okay, not just, we're not talking about early, we're just like, boom, right? It's not a gradual slowdown, which is what it should be. It's a, holy cow, it's 3 o'clock, and all I can think about is taking a nap or going to bed. That's not good, all right? So, what is the right amount of time for a nap? Well, 20 to 30 minutes, according to the experts, is the max. Okay, so ideally, 20 to 30 minutes is your max, but you could do as much as 10, 15 minutes. And we're talking like actual sleep time, okay? Also, the optimal time is between 2 to 3 p.m. So between 2 to 3 p.m., if you can take somewhere between a 15 to 25 to 30-minute nap, that's best for your body. And it's literally like these electric cars that you see out everywhere where they just they just came into the parking spot and they plug in and think of yourself as you're just getting a boost and you're plugging some energy in between 2 and 3 p.m. in the afternoon and we're talking let's say 15 to 30 minutes it's it's unbelievable okay what does it do for you okay it will boost your memory so your cognitive you're getting it's just like my memory's going to be better my cognitive responses are going to be sharper. It lifts your mood, can change your mood. Makes you more alert. Again, that's a cognitive response. And it actually allows you to ease stress. All from a 15 to 20 minute nap. Now, this is a this is this is not widely accepted in America. If you look overseas, I wanted to do some research on this and go, okay, where does napping fall? And I think everybody's thinking what I'm thinking. First thing I thought was Spain. I've never been to Spain. I want to go to Spain. Because from what I'm told, and I do the research on this, and I think this is true, the famous Spanish siesta is a national thing. It's a part of the culture. And they take it typically at the hottest part of the day after the biggest meal. Uh, now, the major cities of Spain, this is not like a thing where everybody's doing it, but as you get outside of the major cities of Spain, apparently it is still a thing. A, a national nap, if you will. In Japan, the concept of inimuri, or napping while present, is popular and even considered somewhat of a status symbol. Now, this is whacked out, but I'll tell you what they do. The idea is, uh, if you're so tired that you got to take a nap at work, it is a status symbol because it tells everybody else, I'm working so hard, I need a nap. And people will literally take a nap at their desk. Little pillow, drop their head down, kind of stuff you got in trouble for in high school in America. You know what I mean? You know the old, I'm going to put my head on my forearms and hope that I used to love to sit behind a tall guy. You know what I'm talking about? And you feel like you can hide. And you feel like the teacher can't see you and you are just gonzo. I mean, you're out drooling on the desk. It's disgusting, right? Wake you up and you're like, you know, it's one of those deals, you know, that's the Japanese thing. It's kind of a status symbol. Now, this is not a country example, but this is a company in India has actually gone out and said, this is, needs to be a thing. It's a startup, so we'll see how they do. But they coined the term 
the right to nap. And they give employees from 2 o'clock to 2.30 every day to catch some Zs. I think it's worth trying, companies. I really do. This is going to make a lot of leaders really uncomfortable. Now, some of you are going, Ken, how in the world do I do this? I'm coming. I'm, I'm getting there. But I wanted you to see that this is a cultural thing in many countries. And now you got a company in India going, from 2 to 2.30, you can catch your Zs. Begs the question if there's a bunch of Snuggies around. You know, do they have like quiet rooms, you know, where everybody's in there snoring? It's not quiet when you get three or four dudes in there. You know, that's terrible. Um, and by the way, one one famous example, Winston Churchill didn't really do it by the book. He took about an hour nap every afternoon. The experts say 20 to 30 minutes is about right. Um, but he uh, he would work from 8 o'clock in the morning until midnight, sometimes even past midnight, staying up. Uh, obviously an extraordinary time. But he, Winston Churchill, even while running a country in a wartime, found time to take a nap. So it's fascinating stuff. Now, so I started thinking through this. All right, so I'm going to make the case that we all need to be napping, including me. So I started thinking about, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Okay. So I haven't figured it out yet, so I'm not going to sit here and act like some big shot who's figured it all out, right? But if somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes, you know, is 15 maybe the minimum, 30 the max, because after you sleep more than 30 minutes, now you're groggy. And so even if you wake up a little bit, the effects are supposedly pretty fantastic if you keep going. So I had a I had a thought. Most people get an hour for lunch. All right. Here's the deal. I get an hour for lunch if I want it. Anybody who knows me will tell you I've never taken an hour for lunch. Not one time in the nine years I've been at Ramsey. I just don't. I'll go in the cafeteria after today's show and I might eat for 15 to 20 minutes. And I'm looking at news or maybe I'm eating with somebody. But I mean, I'm not taking an hour. So if I need to get somewhere between a 15 to 30 minute nap, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Certainly in the summertime. All right. I'm going to get one of those obnoxious shades, you know, that keeps your dashboard from getting overheated and cracked. I'm going to slap that bad boy in there in the car. I'm going to turn the AC on and maybe some classical music on Sirius XM channel 76. I'm out, baby. I'm in the car. Gonzo. It's my lunch hour. Now, I could do it at 2 o'clock. So I take a 30-minute lunch at normal time, and at 2 o'clock, I'm going to go out and grab 20 minutes of Z's. It is possible. But we're not ready yet in America to take it to your leader and go, can I take a nap? Folks, I believe that every one of us was created uniquely to do work that will make this world a better place. Give you my formula, pretty simple. I believe that if you use what you do best, that's your talent, to do work that you really enjoy, that's passion, and and you're creating results that matter deeply to you, that's a sense of mission. I think you're on purpose and you're doing great stuff. And so we've taken that methodology and we've put it into a course for students because we are not teaching it that simply that effectively in our American school system. Our school system has become an assembly line that is creating test takers, not pathfinders, and they don't know how to ask the right questions for self-awareness, and they just follow whatever path seems to be best, and I think that's a tragic, tragic scenario. 
So we created Foundations in Career Discovery. This is a home study course for your teenager. Mom and dad, we work you into it and that you don't have to do anything other than just be engaged and and, and have some conversation. The course is $49.99 for one student for one year. If you have additional students, you can get it. It's all digital delivery, by the way. It can be added for $30 each for an additional student. You're also going to get a teacher account that gives you resources and progress tracking and even a grade book if you want to get that involved, parents. But it's more for you to walk alongside your student and have a conversation about what I'm teaching. I'm teaching in the product, and we have some high school students that join me for discussions, and it's really enlightening, and it's really fun. Each student also gets my Get Clear assessment, which we've also simplified for the student. A 20-minute assessment that will help them see what they do best, what they love to do most, and what results motivate them. This is life-changing stuff. Of course, we have the adult version, the Get Clear assessment at KenColeman.com. All of this, KenColeman.com slash student, KenColeman.com slash student. All right, let's go to Rebecca, who joins us in Riverside, California. Rebecca, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm living the dream, Rebecca. What's up? Oh, nice. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Of course. So I'm um, 42 years old, and I've been teaching since I was 23. Wow. And I'm just kind of burned out with uh, all the demands they keep putting on us as teachers and some of the values that I don't necessarily agree with that I'm having to teach. So I, my questions are, how do I find a new career, and how can I do it without risking my income? Yeah. Well, the risking the income part, we're not going to do that. Okay. Okay, so let's take that off the table. Okay. Because you're not going to, and my advice is, you shouldn't ever risk your income in switching or pivoting because we're not going to switch or pivot to something new until we have it. Okay, Okay, that makes sense. The only caveat or the only asterisk that I would add to that is if you were in such a really dangerous situation that you just cannot do it a day longer. So harmful. Do you know what I mean? That would be the only right. situation. Okay. So if we don't have yeah. that, we can stick it out. All right. Okay. So that's the sure. second question. The first question is, uh, is, is, is what else could you and want to do besides teaching in the traditional classroom? And I think I can help answer that by asking you a question first. Was there okay. a point in time where you had the juice, as I like to say, meaning you had some passion and it was very missional for you to be a teacher? Was there a time where you felt that way about teaching? Yes. Okay, yes. good. I, well, ever since I was a little girl, that's all I wanted to do, and, oh, and I've enjoyed it. That's um, great. Yeah, and I, I do feel like, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good at it. Yeah. Um, I love helping people, so I feel like teaching is a good yeah. way to help. Is it fair for me to say, tell me yes or no on this, mm-hmm. that your heart for instructing guiding, encouraging people hasn't changed, but the circumstances of the environment that you've been doing it in have changed. Yes. All right. Absolutely. Okay, great. So when I encounter a teacher who's dealing with this, and sadly I I get this call a lot, (laughs) what's confusing for you, tell me if this is true, is that your heart still does long to instruct, guide, connect, motivate, you know, guide people to a better future. 
but you absolutely don't think you could do it for a day longer in your current environment, and that creates a sense of confusion. Is that true? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do then is we need to say, all right, I'm not necessarily looking to do something different. I want to do the same thing, but in a different place. Does that make sense so far? Mm -hmm. Yes. So your words, 20 seconds, don't edit, just spit it out. Describe a teacher to me. What does a teacher do? Uh, plans, reassesses, reevaluates, connects, builds relationships, encourages. Yeah. Beautiful. Instructs, guides, I'll throw that in there. So mm-hmm. we don't want to do it in the public school system, K-12, may not even want to do it in higher ed. So where else can you do that? Or can you instruct other humans? That's not in a traditional educational model. Uh, the only thing I can think of is like charter schools or homeschooling. Yeah, great. Well, I want that. That may be an option, but I want to expand your thought here. What about training in okay. a corporate environment? Could be an HR. Could mm. be working for a company where you're training, onboarding new people. You're training customers. You do customer training. At the end of the day, you are not stuck in a traditional educational environment. You're just not. Mm-hmm. Now, here's another thing. You could go do online teaching where you're teaching adults online. Question is, what programs are out there? What do they pay? And how does it line up with what you're currently making? Because what we want to do is keep you in a in a role where you are instructing. At its core, mm-hmm. you are an instructor and everything that comes with being an instructor, you're still doing but you're not doing it in the current environment. And so we've got online instructors, you've got corporate training, or you're doing training. That's instructing, yes or no? Yes, yeah. So you need to start looking in Riverside, California, all of the types of jobs that have the word training in it. Okay. Let's just start there, yes? (laughs) Yes, that makes sense. Because you are a trainer by trade, yes? Yes. You're actually really good at it, yes? Yes. And you enjoy it. (laughs) Yep, I do. (laughs) And I got good news for you. One of the things that teachers fail to see is how attractive they are in a corporate, non-traditional education setting because you have been schooled on how to educate. Mm -hmm. They don't have to do a whole lot of fundamental training with you. And so they look at a teacher who's going, man, I've, I've been training fifth graders. I've been teaching fifth graders. I mean, that's like, you know, trying to herd squirrels. <laughs> right. Right? Yep. So if you can yep. if you can sort of herd squirrels, you could train adults who want to be there, who need to be there, yes? Yes. And the reason I share that with you is I want you to have that narrative in your head because I think a mm-hmm. healthy, common-sense employer would look at you and go, you've been teaching for 20-plus years? Wow. You've been, you've been and, and let's be honest, you're not just teaching. You've had to deal with all kinds of behavior stuff. You've had to right. deal with crazy deadlines, crazy amounts of work. You're bringing more to the table than just the ability to lesson plan, deliver the lesson, encourage, correct, and all that. You bring so much more to the table, true or false. True. So you've got yeah. to create this narrative. This is what I bring to the table. It's it's literally the equivalent of a combat veteran coming straight home from the battlefield and then just being asked to 
do basic security a place that rarely has anything at all. It's kind of like, are you kidding me? This is, of course I could do this. I'm battle trained. And a teacher in a public school classroom is a battle trained instructor. It doesn't yeah. get any more intense than that. True or false? <laughs> True. <laughs> so now how do you feel about moving on? Oh, I, yes, I'm, I'm glad for your perspective because <clears throat> I kind of feel like sometimes I think, you know, people will say, oh, if you can't do anything, then you teach. And I, and I, so it's that I've no. had to get out of my head because, no, no, with what you said. <laughs> no, no, I, I understand that. And I've probably uttered that phrase, but it has a different context there. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, so the bottom line is you have the heart for people that you need. So, yeah. Hey, you know what to start looking for. Go look for it. Head up, shoulders back. You have a lot to offer. And in a job economy where they need people, you're going to be great, Rebecca. Thank you. Excited about what's ahead for you. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Press on. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.